This morning I am going to do something I don't normally do, and that is I'm going to give you a choice as to which sermon you would like me to preach. <laughs> so there's two options up on the wall, <clears throat> okay? And uh, here's the first one. First one is entitled, Becoming a Faithful Tither. Here's number two. This is uh, Becoming a Generous Giver. Now, you might not think that's much of a choice, but I want you to pick which one you would rather hear. And uh, I just want, I'm just kind of curious. Which one's shorter? Which one's shorter? <laughs> <laughs> that is information that is not going out. <laughs> All right, I don't want to bias here. <clears throat> so, how many would like to hear Becoming a Faithful Tither? <clears throat> okay, six. How many would like to hear Becoming a Generous Giver? <clears throat> oh, you made my day. <clears throat> because that's the notes to the one I brought. Now... I, was, I would love to know what was going through your mind when you made that pick. Uh, those of you who chose the first one, I can think of a couple things. One is, I've been tithing all my life. I'd like to see everybody do it because it's a great thing. Okay? That might be uh, what some of you thought. Others maybe did that because, you know, I've, I've, I'm really curious about what that means. I'm not really familiar with it, but I'd like to know. I'm guessing that most of us picked that second one becoming a generous giver because it, it feels more, there's a bit of freedom in that. It uh, feels, sounds like maybe not some kind of have-to sermon. Uh, maybe you pick that because you have no idea what a tither is, or a tither, however you might pronounce that. That might be a brand new thing. So, <clears throat> But whatever the reason, this morning we are going to talk about become a generous giver. Now, how this fits is, we've been looking at culture. And we started a couple weeks ago to look at this whole issue of how our, how our culture views money. And as we know, money becomes the master. Jesus warned that money could become your master very easily. Uh, we have a culture that's very into money. And so, we're looking at that. Last week, we looked at the fact that God is incredibly generous. God has an amazingly generous heart. And so this morning, the name of the message is, you know, kind of finding a heart like God's. What does it mean for us to be generous, giving people? So, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look, and I'm going to kind of look at this a little bit broadly. And so, there's a couple of passages. First thing I'd like us to see is kind of the Old Testament perspective on... What it means to be a giver, if you turn to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, this is a familiar passage for many. Uh, I'd like to read it, and you can see it up on the wall. This was, you know, we come to the end of the Old Testament. This was, you get a perspective on what God required of his people in terms of their generosity, in terms of what they gave. Malachi 3, and here it is, beginning with verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, all descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. 
But you ask, how do we rob you in tithes and offerings? And you're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe in the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll not have enough room for it. And I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines of your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So this is the Old Testament. It's called, we call this the tithe, the 10%. And this was something that God required his people in the Old Testament to do. He said, if you don't do this, you're stealing from me. And you will be under a curse. All of you. And ironically, the reason you will not have enough is because you don't give enough. Tithing is when God drops a box of ten donuts on your desk, sits down, has a visit, gets up and leaves and says, oh, by the way, could I have one of those donuts? That's what tithing was in the Old Testament. And of course, as you begin to look at that, the only reason, the only reason someone would not do that is because they didn't believe God. They didn't trust his promise that he made. Well, more could be said about that, but that's enough to give you the basic idea and of the Old Testament <coughs> tithing principle. Now we're going to move into the New Testament this morning. And to do that, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verses 6 through 12. So if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there. There's some in the pew in front of you if you'd like. We're going to spend most of our time here in 2 Corinthians. And we're going to look at this passage. I'm going to jump, read a couple other passages that are connected there in the New Testament. So, 2 Corinthians 9, 6-12. And now, you can kind of contrast this a little bit, in some ways, with what we just read in Malachi. Beginning with verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. For as it is written, he who scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. 
So in the New Testament, what we, what we read here is that... Uh, I'll just... I'll just read one other related passage that Paul wrote in his previous letter to the Corinthians. He said, Now about the collection of God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches. The first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And so what we see here is this is setting aside a percentage of one's giving, Percentage, kind of, it, the, the essence here is it's related to how God is blessing us. And it is a percentage that each person is called upon to decide upon in their own hearts. Now, we see here that Paul uses one church as an example in, in 2 Corinthians. And if you just back up into chapter 8, you can just follow along with me or, or just listen as I read. Now, this is chapter one, or verse, uh, chapter 8 and verse 1. Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. For out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints, and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Verse 7. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So there's that little phrase that in the New Testament... In the Old Testament, we're called to, the people are called to give a tithe of their income to God. In the New Testament, we are called to excel in the grace of giving. So this is when God comes into your office and plops down a box with ten donuts and basically says, you can share with me whatever you like. If you want to cut one donut in half, I've got a knife in my pocket. If you want to give me one, if you want to give me two, I will let you decide. And, and you know what our response is? Well, what do you expect? How, how much would you like? Um, what are others doing? The, the going rate is one donut. And what God says is, why don't you give what you'd like to give? Why don't you give what you'd like to give? You see, here's how it works. And, and so he gives us this principle. He doesn't tell us what to give. He gives us a principle. He says, just remember this. When you decide what you give, remember this. That whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. But you need to decide. You need to decide. Now, if you were to go on... I went online this week, and I, I typed in... I googled in, is tithing still valid for today? And I just glanced through real quickly, probably about the first 20, 20 sites. <clears throat> and about 18 of them were making a point. And their point was that a lot of them were actually very ticked off at pastors, televangelists, people that they thought were trying to manipulate people and guilt people by taking an Old Testament 
uh, law and putting it upon the New Testament church and saying, if you're not giving 10%, if you're not tithing, you are under a curse and you are sinning against God. And about, yeah, about 85 to 90% were making that point. Well, let me tell you where I stand on that. I, I think they have a point. I think they have a point that if, if you read in the New Testament and you read the passages we read, there, there's no mention. I mean, it, was, it would have been a great place for the Apostle Paul to say, you know, you need to set aside the tithe. But, you know, instead he's seeing, he says things like, each man should give what he's decided to give in his heart, not reluctantly under compulsion. Uh, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so, but you know, besides a, a, a very incidental reference Jesus made to the Pharisees where he said, you know, you tithe, you know, you tithe mint and dill and this you should have done. Uh, but there's really opportunity for, for the New Testament to teach this and it doesn't. That's just reality. And to be true to the New Testament, I think we have to face that. So, on the one hand, I, I have to agree with those who write that, you know, to say that, no, we're not under obligation to the tithe in the New Testament. But I think they miss the whole point because, you know, though the law is not still in effect, the impact is. I mean, God didn't say, oh, now we're in the New Testament. You know what, that, that sale was last week. We were giving rebates last week and no longer, you know, if you give, if you decide to adopt this Old Testament principle in your life of tithing, God no longer blesses like he promised in Malachi. That was, that was for a different era. No, I think this passage, this text we read this morning is very much affirming that, that God blesses those who give generously. And those who tithe of their income, God blesses. You can take Malachi and those promises of God saying, test me and see if I don't open up the heavens and bless you. And to not share that with God's people, I think, is an atrocity. I think is really sad. And so, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, people were called to excel in the law of giving. The law of giving. It was a law of giving. In the New Testament, we're called to excel in the grace of giving. In the grace of giving. So, and, and why, you know, the switch between law and grace is, in the Old Testament, God says, this is what you have to do. Now, in the New Testament, God is saying, what do you want to do? Because this, this is a heart check. And I'm more interested in internal heart stuff than I am on external kinds of things. We are not under the law, but Jesus made very clear that he did not come to abolish the law. He came to fill it up. He came to surpass it. And that is a principle <clears throat> that we need to keep in mind as we shift from excelling in the law of giving to excelling in the grace of giving. So, we come to God, we say, God, how much do you want? Do you still want 10%? God says, how much do you want to give? And that's the question that reveals our heart. Verse 7. 
It says, each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. When you begin, when you begin to grasp the New Testament principle of generous giving, it becomes a joy in your life. What does that look like? I just want to show you real quickly here. Uh, Chris, just throw this up. Here's a great example of generous giving.
What a fun story, huh? Generous <clears throat> giving. Let's talk in these last few minutes about how we can develop a generous heart. Just going to mention briefly four things. Number one, experience the generosity of God. It always starts there. Experiencing the generosity of God. Listen to this verse in 2 Corinthians 8 9. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, I want you to listen to this word, for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty, through his poverty, you might become rich. Do you realize when Jesus lived here, he lived in poverty? Think about it. He owned nothing. Didn't have a home. Didn't, I mean, what did Jesus have? You know, he moved from place to place. There were, you don't hear any U-Haul stories. Or he, he had nothing. And we really think about how Christ emptied himself so that, as the text says, we might become rich. So that you might become rich. Over the last weeks, one of the headline articles is the death of Steve Jobs. A man who started Macintosh computers, age 30, got fired from his own company. Interesting. Went on to develop the Apple line of technology. And incredible uh, man in the area of technology. The Apple computer, iPhones, iPads, and all of that. It's interesting, though, in, in just a moment, he, he was spoken of from Steve Jobs' is worth $8 billion to Steve Jobs was worth $18 billion. And that little change from is to was is a very vivid reminder. You know, the question is not what was Steve Jobs worth, you know, a week ago or two weeks ago or three weeks before he died, but, you know, what was he worth that moment after he took his last breath? The text says that God views wealth very differently than the world. And the text says that if you are in Christ, you are rich. And you are. Because you have things that are literally priceless in your life. And the concept here, because we are rich, we are free to give. 
I could give away everything I have. You could give away everything you have and you would still be rich. And you see, our problem is, as we talked a few weeks ago, we kind of get, get caught up in this stuff, all of our stuff. And we think we need our stuff and we have to have our stuff to be well off. And the scriptures tell us we can lose it all. You can lose everything and you are still rich in Christ. Staggering. So that's the first thing is... Is to, is to know God's generosity through Christ. Here's the second one. And this is always critical. Remember, it all belongs to God. You know, we have to be continually reminded of this. It all belongs to God. When we are generous, you know, it's about Him. It's about, I mean, if you heard that little story that went on, God was wanting to do something through those people. He had blessed the couple evidently with extra funds so that he could bless ultimately that little child that needed to be adopted. And so when we become generous, we simply become conduits through which God can spend his money the way he desires. I mean, David had a handle on this when he gave all this stuff to the temple in 2 Chronicles. And he goes, you know, you know guys, we're really just giving back to God what he's given to us. And so, but we need to continually be reminded because it becomes mine very quickly. Very quickly. It's like the little girl and her mother gave her two quarters. She said, one's for you and, and one is to give to God. And they're walking to church and all of a sudden she dropped a quarter and it went down the storm drain. She got the horrified look and she said, Mom, I just dropped God's quarter. Well, they're both God's quarter. It all belongs to him. And so we need to remember in verses 10 and 11, chapter 9, it says, He's, Now he who supplies seed to the sower. See that verse? He that supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness and you'll be made rich in every way. God is the one giving you the seed. To soul. And so we need to be reminded all belongs to God. Here's the third one. The third one is that you need to make giving your treasure. And this is very critical. This is very critical. <clears throat> and I know I'm running out of time this morning, but I just want to take a moment here because this is critical. Make giving your treasure. When I was a little kid, <clears throat> I grew up I grew up where tithing, 10% was taught as a law. Okay? And when I grew up, hey, 10% of what you make belongs to God. If you don't give it to God, you're stealing from God. That's what I was taught. That's what I did. I went out. I trapped gophers. Big, big money job. 25 cents for a pair of feet. Every week, I'd, a good week was five or six gophers. I'd go into the local hardware store, drop a dozen pair of bloody little gopher feet on the table, and I'd get my buck fifty, and that week I had to put fifteen cents in the offering. We had these little offering envelopes. I remember when I got my first set, and I would look at them and go, "Oh man, I've got four for the last month. I've forgotten." And I went through that as a kid. But over time, that discipline grew into a habit, and then that habit grew into a joy. And now I look back fifty years later, after doing this for fifty years, and I sat down, I began to think of about how much money I have been able to invest in eternal things that 
you know, if I didn't have that discipline in my life, I wouldn't have done that. And now I look back and I go, man, I am so thankful for that. And then I began to read Jesus' words and say, you know what? Whatever you sacrifice for me, I will, I will turn over a hundredfold. Now, I don't have a, a lot of money. Sometimes I'm concerned, I, you know, I don't have a lot of money in my 401k. I don't even have a 401k. I don't have a lot of money for here, but I began to realize, what, what are we thinking when we think about retirement? I mean, I, I think we should be more concerned about our eternal retirement than our earthly retirement. And so, this has been an opportunity for me to look back in my life. You know, when God brings in more money, it's not a time to increase your standard of living, it's a time to increase your standard of giving. And that's what generous givers do, because they love to give, because they've learned the joy of giving. And there's an amazing joy there. You know, you have to decide. You have to be thinking. However, in the beginning especially, it's really tough, because you begin to realize that if you give this, that that's, that money you're giving rep represents stuff. It represents stuff that we have to give up. Here's the last step. And the last, oh, by the way, before I say that, here's what happens. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So if you make giving your treasure, up front it may be kind of hard. It may take just sheer discipline. But you know what you'll discover? Pretty soon, your heart will be to give. Very important principle Jesus gave. And then finally, just step out in faith. Just step out in faith. You know, I challenge you. Take the next 60 days and just get up every day and say, God, I'm, I want to be a generous. I want to. I want to be generous today. I'm be generous with my church. I'm be generous with people I meet. I'm be generous with the gal. Who, Whoever it is that cuts your hair, I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna seek to make generosity a treasure in my life. Watch what happens in your in your spirit. Watch what happens in your relationship to God. I want to end with a just a story. And you know the great thing is, the great thing is that anybody, anybody can be generous. Eddie Ogan is a grandmother in Colville, Washington. She writes this in a denominational letter. She's thinking back to 1946. She was 14 years old. She had two sisters and a newly widowed mom. And right before the Easter, the pastor announced that they were going to take up a collection. Uh, they wanted people to sacrifice so they could give some money to, they were going to find a poor family in the church. And so these kids, she, she writes, they were so excited. And they decide on the way home that they were going to buy 50 pounds of potatoes and they're going to live off that for a month. And they'd save 20 bucks. And then they were going to turn off their lights at night and save a little bit on the electric bill. And they got odd jobs and babysitting jobs and all kinds of things. And after 30 days, they went in, to the, all, took all their change in, and they walked out with three crisp $20 bills and a $10 bill, 70 bucks that they had saved. Well, they went to church that Sunday, and, and they were so excited. And the offering plate came around, and the mom put in the 10, and each of the kids put in a crisp $20 bill. And on the way home, she writes in the article, she said, we just sang all the way home. Got to the house, and mom celebrated by buying a dozen eggs. And we had eggs 
and fried potatoes. And then there was a knock at the door. The pastor came in, visited, dropped off an envelope. And all of a sudden they realized they were the poor family in the church. And in the envelope was a crisp $20 bill, or three $20 bills, a crisp $10 bill, and 17 $1 bills. She writes in the article, she says, we didn't talk, we just sat and stared at the floor. We had gone from feeling like millionaires to feeling poor. What did poor people do with money? We didn't know. We never known we were poor. Well, the next week there was a missionary speaker came to church and he talked about people who didn't have a roof on their house and it cost a hundred bucks to put a roof on the house. And as they're sitting there talking, all of a sudden they began to look at each other down the line in the pew and they all knew what they wanted to do. And at the end of the service, they passed the plate. And Mom took the envelope out, put it in the offering. She writes, we looked at each other and smiled for the first time in a week. Mom reached into her purse and pulled out the envelope, passed it on to Darlene. Darlene gave it to me and I handed it to my sister. When the offering was counted, the minister announced that it was a little over $100. The missionary was so excited he hadn't expected such a large offering from our small church. And he said, you must have some rich people in this church. Suddenly it struck us. We'd given $87 of that little over 100. We were the rich family in the church. Hadn't the missionary said so? And from that day on, I have never been poor again. What a great story. Our wealth is not measured by what we have. Our wealth is measured by our generosity. Father, we thank you this morning for this challenge to get out from living by the law and to fulfill that law in our lives through your invitation to us to become generous givers. Father, sometimes we struggle with this because we struggle with the things of this world. It's hard to let go. We struggle with this because it's hard to trust you. But, Father, we need to remember what you have told us the principle upon which we need to base our generosity, and that is that we reap what we sow. Father, that you uh, generously, that you generously multiply the gifts that we give, and that the promise remains that, that as we share so generously around us, that you provide every need that we have in our lives. Father, give us faith to to trust you in this state. And uh, Lord, teach us how to excel. Teach us how to excel in this grace of giving. Father, as we receive our offering today, Lord, a very practical application. I thank you for those that give regularly. Father, I pray that you would uh, just really show us in our hearts uh, what it means to be a generous giver. 
Lord, help us to establish disciplines in our lives which become habits and which bear much fruit in the years to come. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.